Open up your Bibles with me to Second Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to pass out the announcements real quick to you. And today's message is going to be kind of unique. Today's message is called To the Chicagoans. So as you're getting your announcement paper quickly, uh, guys, get that to them. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians. And I'm just going to do something that I haven't done in a while, but, and I've been wanting to do it. And what I'm going to do is just read to you a whole book of the Bible. How many are excited about that? I want you guys to feel what it felt like to be a Christian in the time of Paul and Silas and Timothy. How it was like to live in that time. You know, we are, <coughs> excuse me, accustomed to having messages like verses. You know, like some pastor takes a little cute verse out of the Bible and preaches on it. But that's not how they did it in the Bible times. Matter of fact, most people didn't even own a Bible because they couldn't afford it and it was too expensive. And at the same time, the New Testament had not even been written yet. Can somebody grab me a glass of water, please? My 58 Chevy's running a little low on oil. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I need to get an oil change up here. And what they would do is when they would gather together, since the New Testament was being written, what they would do is take the little bit of letters that they had, and they would read them out loud. So take, for example, you're part of the church here that is in Thessalonica. Everybody say Thessalonica. Thank you. Let's say you're in this city right here. Thank you. And Paul is your pastor. And Paul has started your church. And now Paul has gone away to another city. And you're now gathering in somebody's house. And you're meeting every week, okay? And every week as you meet, all you have is the letter that Paul sent you guys to tell you to live for Jesus. I want you to think about this now. What I am reading you right now is all they had. They didn't have a Bible to even follow along with. So you would have to be a good listener. Also, they memorized it. They would memorize it in the service so that when you would go about your day, because remember, you couldn't take that letter with you. The person in charge of the church would keep it with him. You would want to know that word. So when you would hear it being read in the service, you would memorize it and say, okay, Paul said this. Okay, i got to remember that. That's what we're going to do today. Now I'm going to let you have your Bibles and take notes and everything. But I'm going to read to you a whole letter. You see, because what happens a lot of times when we have verses by verse by verse, you don't get the point of what the letter's about. Now imagine if I wrote you a letter and all you did is just took one little sentence out the letter. You wouldn't get the whole point of the letter, would you? That's why a lot of times you'll hear preachers, not to say there's not good things in the Bible, but they'll find a little verse that said, Jesus loves you, God wants to bless you, and they'll take it out of the letter. But the letter may go on to say, but God will also send sinners to hell. But they won't say that. Are you guys listening to me? It's like as if you were going out with somebody long distance and they were writing a letter and they were breaking up with you. And at the beginning they, they said, we've had a lot of good times together. And, and at the end they said, we can be friends. And that's all you want to talk about. But you forget the middle part that says it's over. Don't call me. And, then you, you know, and you're just talking about, well, they said we could still be friends. That's so awesome. Look at the letter says, I'm still friends with this person. Or look at the beginning part. It says that we had good times together. We had great fun. 
And that's what it is like so many times when people are reading the Bible. They're just taking out little, little pieces. Oh, look at this. Look at this. And so, so what we need to do is sometimes just hear the whole thing. Now, obviously, we don't have time to read the whole Bible today. And uh, before God moved powerfully with his spirit about six months ago, I was going verse by verse to the book of Matthew. I may go back to that, but I felt that the Lord wanted me to speak on what he gave me that day, and that's why I go back to the office. But I've been wanting to do this, and I felt the Lord said, do it today. So if you're in Second Thessalonians, and you have your notes, and you're all ready to go, can you say amen? Amen. The message today is, to the Chicagoans. Or you could say, probably this would be better, to the church of Chicago. Whatever you prefer. To the Chicagoans or to the church of Chicago. Start in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start right here. Paul is saying, I am Paul. I'm with a guy named Silas and Timothy. Who are those guys? Those are fellow workers with him, fellow elders in the faith. To apply this to Metro Praise, this would be like Joe, Ish, and Ricky. Adolfo, Griselda, Suellen. How many understand that? Now it says to the church of the Thessalonians. Well, what was the Thessalonians? It was a city in Thessalonica. So that's why we could say today's message is to the who? Chicagoans. What was Thessalonica? It was a city in what is now known in uh, Turkey. My family, the Matsaris Greek family, actually are, uh, they lived right by this place in Greece because Greece and Turkey are kind of close to each other. And they call it Thessaloniki. Everybody say Thessaloniki. So this is still actually a modern-day city in uh, Turkey, and it's right by the border of Greece. And this was where Paul was when he started his church. So that's who he's talking to. Now, who is the church? The church is not just a group of people on the streets who come on Sundays and take communion. You see, that concept would have never been even understood by the people of this day. When he is saying to the church, he is literally meaning to the born again, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, living holy, on fire, Jesus is Lord, Christians, to those people I'm talking to. You see, sometimes we get the idea that church Though everyone is welcome, we think that the church is everybody. Because in America, we have freedom. We invite people to our services. They've gotten used to our religion. They're comfortable with our singing, all of that. But in this time, you know, Christianity is only about 20 years old. People are mostly still pagan. Christianity is totally abstract and different to them. So anybody that would actually come into that house that they were meeting because they didn't even have buildings in so it was a house had to have a heart for god because when they walked out they would be persecuted they would be rejected just imagine you telling all of your friends you know i don't celebrate christmas imagine how weird they would look at you all the pagan holidays of rome were all based on pagan gods they said we don't celebrate mardi gras we don't celebrate the day of zeus they were they were literally like aliens in rome and when they got together ecclesia the greek word for church called out ones they were actually around their family now 
You see, they were around people that they were closer to that were not blood than some of their own blood. And see, I want to encourage you with that today. What Metro Praise needs to be in Chicago is a church of called out ones. We need to look at this gathering together as a place where the holy people of God gather together. Where the people of God gather together and want to learn about God. Where when sinners, when unbelievers come into this congregation, they should be convicted of their sin. Hello? And if people betray the trust and the, the rules, the commands of this organization called the church, they should be disciplined. Because we shouldn't allow disorder in the church. You're saying, Pastor, is all that in that word? Yes, all of that is in that word when he says to the church of Thessalonians. He's saying, that's what I'm talking about. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're always going to see this. This is a standard greeting in Paul's letters and the epistles. This is what he's talking about. It all comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people want to say, well, Lord and God mean two different things. But no, this is the same exact term. God obviously means God, God the Father. But Lord Jesus Christ here is not the term for master. You see, in the Hebrew, the word Lord, what we say in English, L-O-R-D, would be in Hebrew two different words. One of them was called Yohevahe, which is the letters Y-H-W-H, where we get the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Are you all with me? Now, that was the name for God. The other word for Lord in the Hebrew is Adonai. And that could mean, you know, boss, master. You know, Adonai could be attributed to a king like a lord. But you see, when in the New Testament it says Lord, there's only one Greek word, and that Greek word is kurios. And so when you're reading this, you may not know, is it referring to Jesus as our Adonai, as our master, or is he Yahweh himself? We believe as Christians that it is saying God our Father and Yahweh Jesus Christ, that he takes on the divine name of God. Because you see, like in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, baptize in the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is that one name? It's Yahweh. It's the Old Testament Hebrew word that we translate Lord. So what you're learning here is the Trinity. Even if people say, well, you know what, Lord there just means master. But you know what, it makes no sense because you put nobody on the same page of God. But yet Jesus Christ is always just separated by an and. You never do that with an angel. You don't put, I'm here with God our Father and the angel Gabriel, this and that. Just the very fact that Paul in his greetings always attaches the Father with Jesus Christ, says that Jesus can't be a man. He just can't be just somebody we look up to as a role model. He has to be divinity because as you're going to learn throughout the letter, he is always given commands in Jesus' name. He does all types of things in that name. And why does that name have authority? Because Jesus, in the Hebrew, Yahshua, actually comes from Yahweh. Even the name Jesus carries the name of the, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Hebraic name for Lord. You're learning the Trinity. You're learning all the theology that comes in this. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, so who's giving grace and peace to the people? It's God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, once you get to that point, you can forget the terms Lord and God and all that. The bottom line is the Father and the Son are blessing your life. And only divinity can do that. 
not the saints, not uh, the Mother Mary. No one can bless your life, give you grace and peace except God, Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice this in verse 2, that, that our terminology today is not really biblical in many ways. Nothing wrong with saying God bless you. I say it all the time. It's a part of our culture. Matter of fact, for the most part, it's not even a Christian part of our culture. When somebody sneezes, what do most people say? God bless you. You know what I'm saying? It's like when they pass gas, are we supposed to say the same thing? When you burp, are we supposed to say it now too? God bless you. And there's obviously there's some you know tradition behind that and some superstition. But that's not how the Christians greeted each other back then. They didn't say to each other, God bless you. They actually said grace and peace. So if you want to be biblical and you're greeting one to another, say grace and peace. Look at your neighbor and say grace and peace. That would be the way to greet a Christian. And as you'll see in all of Paul's letters, every single one of them, he always says grace and peace. And I believe it's in 2 Timothy, he says grace, peace, and mercy. What's wonderful about this right here is that, once again, he's imitating the Jews who would say, peace be upon you. The Jews would always greet each other with shalom, as, like I said, the Muslims say, assalamu alaikum, may peace be upon you. But what I love about this is that we add grace. That means there's grace in Jesus Christ. You see, all other religion is man working to make God happy. Islam teaches man to work to make God happy. Even the Jewish faith became works, you know. You had to go on the Sabbath. You had to wear these type of clothes. But I love in the Christian faith our greeting is not just peace, but it's grace and peace. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is grace. Somebody say grace. That will get you excited right there. Now let's move on to the next paragraph. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Look at what Paul has to say about this church. I mean, the high compliment that he gives them. He says he boasts about them to other churches. What is his boast? Look at what his boast is. Number one, their faith is growing more and more. To the Chicagoans, I want to boast about you, that your faith continues to grow more and more. That you don't just say, hey, well, I did that faith stuff, you know, a few months ago. It's got old now. I'm just going to kind of plateau where I'm at. I'm good. I know this much of the Bible. I pray this much. You know, you know I'm, I'm trying to bench 300, but I'm just going to stick at 250 for right now. I got my faith at 250. No. He wants us to keep increasing like a bodybuilder. Put the 300 on there one day and try to push it up. Come on. And what is faith for? Faith is to do things. Have more faith to get out and do things in your community. Faith in your family. Faith for the church itself to do things. He was boasting about the Thessalonians because their faith was growing and growing and growing. He says more and more. And what's the second thing that they were doing that he was boasting about? That the love they had for each other was increasing. You see, Chicagoans, we have to increase in our love more and more. I have to love Rachel and Ricky more and more. And they have to love Elliot more and more. If we do those things, we'll be a boast in God's kingdom. You see, Paul said those type of things get boasting. And then the last thing is perseverance and faith and persecution. 
What you'll notice in the uh, epistles, which epistle means letter, the letter to the church is what you'll notice many, many, many times, if not all, they're always being persecuted. They're going through something. So if you've come to Christianity and you're like, you know, shucks, I'm actually having problems right now. I don't know what to do. Well, welcome to Christianity. Christianity is not a trip through the bed of roses. It's not backstroking on vacation in Kaaba, you know what I'm saying, in the ocean, in sunbathing. Christianity has a consequence. Number one, the consequence, persecution, people will reject you just because you stand up for Christ. The moment you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, people will get offended at that. I was talking to somebody last night on the streets as we were witnessing, and he said it so good. And he himself wasn't even saved, but he said it. He says, you know what, if you wanted to empty out a bar, all you'd have to do is just bring in your Bible, and people would run from you. He says, but if you had the Quran, if you had a teaching from Buddha, if you had the Hindu scriptures, people would sit down and talk to you all day long. He says, but if you just went in there and started talking to people about the Bible, they would all leave. And I said, you want to know why that is? And I'll share with you why it is. Some of you already know. Imagine being in a movie theater for the whole day. All you've been there is just for hours and hours and hours. And it's dark in there. And then all of a sudden, the lights flash on bright and somebody puts a flashlight in your face. What are you going to do? You're going to squint and you're going to want that light out of your face immediately. Am I right? You see, those other books don't contain the light. There's no light in them, amen? But this Bible right here is a flashlight to people's soul. And when people don't want to hear it, they want it to get out their face. You see, number one, the persecution comes when people don't want you to talk about Jesus, Chicago, and so you need to endure. Be like the Thessalonians and endure the persecution you face, amen? And then the next thing is the trial. A trial can be anything. Trial could be a flat tire. Trial could be your job laying you off. A trial could be uh, somebody in your family getting upset with you. A trial could be a plurality of things. But Paul's boast is, is that they're enduring it with perseverance and faith. So I want to encourage the Chicagoans today. Persevere and endure your trial with faith. Amen? You'll make it through. Trials are like seasons. Just like the weather, how it changes, how seasons change. Man, isn't that something? It was like frigid cold the other day, and it gets like warm, and then it's cold. You know, trials are just like that. Trials will come, and trials will go. Keep your faith. Keep your perseverance. You will get through it. Amen? Praise God. Move on now to verse 5. I'm having fun already. Say amen. Isn't this wonderful? We're just reading the Bible today. Amen? All this, verse 5, is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to those of you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony. This this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Now, take this example for picking and choosing verses. Now, Let's say a pastor was just going to preach on verse 4. 
Therefore, go through your trials. Persevere. You can make it. Come on, guys. You can do it. You know what I'm talking about? You can do it. Right? Okay, wow, we're having fun. But you see, like, let's just say you came that day, and you're like, man, I love Thessalonians. That was a great passage. It encouraged me that I can do it. But how many know it's hard to get down to this next passage? Punished is mentioned about three or four times, Charles. Blazing fire. See, sometimes we as pastors got to preach the whole word. Amen? Somebody say, give it to me raw. See, sometimes you just need it uncensored. You just need it raw. Amen? Uncut. You don't need me to cut it up sometimes. You just need me to slap that porterhouse steak just right on your table and say, there it is. Now look at what's going on here. We see, number one, that God is, uh, Paul is saying to them that God is going to judge those who are persecuting them. I want everyone to think about that when people mock us for preaching the gospel, specifically persecution, God will punish them. So that is to give us comfort. It really is. He says, I'm going to pay back those who trouble you and give relief to those of you who are troubled. So number one, God's going to punish them. And number two, God will comfort us. There are stories about Christian martyrs going to the flames singing songs to God. There are stories in the Christian history that sometimes when the Roman soldiers were killing multiplied hundreds of Christians in one day, sometimes thousand Christians would die a day in in arenas, in the sporting events that they would do. Rome was a bloodthirsty culture. Some stories say that the Roman citizens, you know, these Roman soldiers who kept putting these people in the lines, that sometimes at the end of the day they would get so convicted that they themselves would get converted and then, then die with the Christian. Why would they get convicted? Because unlike criminals who would be sentenced to death by Rome, the criminals would come out cursing, you know, like, you know, sticking it up to the Caesar, like, ah, you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to let you know what I think about you. Instead of doing that, the, the Christian history tells us that the families would come out there singing songs to God, that the children would be saying, thank you, Lord. I mean, this is, this is truth, my friends. Imagine living in the time where life and death is all about your faith. And God is speaking through Paul right here. Paul is saying to you guys, Chicagoans, you can make it. And the ones who are punishing you, the ones who are persecuting you, I'm going to take care of them. Remember that. Whenever you face trouble, God's got your back. The next thing that we learn is that there's a real place called the Lake of Fire. Sometimes uh, people today in our uh, postmodern world where they want to sing Kumbaya, the Muslim, the Hare Krishna, you know, everybody come together, Kumbaya, my Lord. You know, here we are, a big family. Let's all pray to our higher power. You can call him Jesus. You can call Muhammad if you want to call him Bob. That's okay. Call him whatever you want, your higher power. In this world that we live in, people want to convince us that there's not a hell. That there's not a place that will burn with unquenchable fire. But there is a place like that. It's a very real place. And actually when people accuse us, when we talk about the lake of fire, of being angry and unloving, it's actually the opposite. We're actually so loving that we're telling people, amen? You're so in love with your neighbor that you don't want them to go there that you tell them. You care so much about your family that you warn them about this place. I love this congregation so much that I have to read this. Listen to what it's described as. 
Well, first, Jesus will come back. We're going to talk about that later. The theme of this book in a lot of places is coming back, Jesus' return. But look at what it's described as, blazing fire, then punishment, and then everlasting destruction and punishment again, and shut out from the presence of God. If you're just taking little notes, write those down and ask yourself, would you, would you even wish that on your worst enemy? I mean, have you ever put your hand over the fire, David? I mean, have you ever felt a flame? Did you say to yourself, yeah, I would love to do this for eternity? Come on. Could you imagine being in a place where you can never feel God again? Sinners right now don't even know that they're still feeling the presence of God on this earth. The reason that there's love and there's kindness and there's a mother doing things for her children, all of this comes from God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Sanity is a gift from God. Hello, somebody. I mean, go down and do a, a day serving at the mental hospital. I've been there. I've served at the mental hospital and prayed for people. You will come out just thanking God for your sanity. When people are shut out from the presence of God, they will be insane, aware of where they are and fire, but they'll be without sanity. The Bible says they'll be terrified. There'll be no peace. It'll be pitch black darkness, and yet they're in a lake of fire. They're drowning in fire. It's a bottomless pit, so they're always having that feeling of falling. You've had those feelings in your dream. You're falling. You wake up. It's terrifying. So they're always falling. They're being burned. It's pitch black. It's total aloneness. It's insanity. No peace. No love. There's no feeling of hope. It's a total hopelessness. Now, who is sending them there? God is sending them there for what reason? For punishment. And look at the first verse. This is evidence that God's judgment is right. What's the evidence that God's judgment is right? That sinners are so wicked and evil that when people even talk about him on this earth, they want to persecute and kill the people. You see, that's what he's saying here. He's saying the world you're living in is so wicked that not only do they not listen to God speak to their heart and to the word, but when you want to listen to God, they get so angry with you, they want to shut you up and kill you. That shows you that God is right in punishing them. That's how much they reject him. You see, sometimes people have the opposite way of thinking. They say, well, I don't listen to what man says. I just listen to what God says. That's a lie. It's actually easier to listen to what man says than to listen to what God says in your heart because you could be confused. You may not discern what God is saying. Did God say I should wear the, the blue pants or the red pants? God, what are you saying? I don't know. But when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, don't sin, you know, don't commit adultery. See, you might justify in your mind, well, you know, I love her and we live together and we're starting a family. We'll get married in two years. You see, you, you'll play around with God in your head and your heart and all that. But when somebody actually comes up to you and says, hey, that's sin, that's adultery, you see, it's easier to hear the voice. And so when people say, well, you know, I have this like secret, you know, relationship with God, it's actually a lie. And the proof of God's judgment upon sinners is that they hate the spokesmen of God which is Christian. Somebody say amen. The Bible says that he at the same time, Jesus, look at around verse 9 and 10, that on the same day Armageddon comes, that punishment is coming to the sinner, there is glorification coming to the holy people of God. Because at that moment when Jesus does the final battle of Armageddon and people are flown into the lake of fire and all those who have persecuted Christians are punished, 
The Bible says that his glory will come inside the Christians and the believers, the holy people, and they'll be marveled at among the world. You will be bling-blinging for Jesus. Get your shine on. Because what? Look at the last part of verse 10. Because you believed our testimony to you. My question to the Chicagoans is, do you believe my testimony to you? Do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that there's a God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? He is Yahweh. Do you believe that what you suffer for is worth it, that what you're persecuted for is worth it? Do you believe there'll be a punishment of ungodly people who disobey the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you do believe that, you will be the one God glorifies. God will glorify you and I, little old us. The Bible actually calls us little jars of clay. We're just little light bulbs, and he's going to shine through us. You know how Adam and Eve never knew they were naked? If you ever just look at a light bulb, like I'm looking at these lights, and especially when they're bright, even though these are a little bit dim, but when you look at a light bulb that's really bright, you can't see any of the glass encasing. You can't see the little writing on it. You know what I'm talking about? All you see is the light emanating. This flesh is just a shell, people. God wants to glorify himself in us. When Adam looked at Eve, he didn't see, oh, the hips and the body. He saw the glory of God in her. He saw her shining brighter than any lamp or sun we could ever even star, anything we could look at. Are you guys with me? That's what's going to happen on Judgment Day. When sinners are being damned to the lake of fire, you will be shining with the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's encouraging. Look at verse 11. With this in mind. Okay, what are we supposed to have in mind? That God's going to punish one group of people and glorify another group of people. Okay. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. That our God may count you worthy of his calling. And that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now right there, do you see the, the working together, the, the complementary nature of the Father and the Son? You see, once you get to passages like this, there's no possibility that Jesus can be anything less than divinity. And once he's on the level of divinity, you know there's only one God, so you know that he's part of that one God. He is God. And how do we explain the God being three in one? We call that the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just, just pointing that out to you. But now watch how Paul makes his point. He says, with this in mind, I pray that God would count you worthy of his calling. Do you know that God has a calling for every one of your lives? Come on, Chicagoans, to the church of Chicago. Do you know that God has a call for you, Cynthia, for your brother, for Diana, Lilani, Vanessa, each one of you, for the Cologne family, each one of you here? Come on. What does God want to do in your life? You've got to find that out. And look what he says next. He wants to bless every good purpose of yours. And every act prompted by your faith. So here's the thing. God gives you the plan. What's the plan? Only you can answer that. God will share it with you. Once you have the plan, God actually says he's going to bless what you do. Let me give you an example. I know that I'm called to be a pastor, right? I'm called to start churches. Now, 
Every day of my life, I try to pray. I try to understand what God wants me to do, right? But I didn't have like an hour-long prayer meeting about to buy those speakers right here, these monitors. But you see, God wanted to fulfill every good purpose of mine because I know my calling. So when I said, Lord, we need some monitors, I went out and got them, and he blessed, and he took care of it, and now there they are. You see, that's him fulfilling the purpose in my life, but it's also my part of getting out there and acting according to that purpose. How many understand what I'm saying? Some of you still got a little confused look on your face. Let me help you out a little bit. Let me put it in your life, okay? Talk about parenting. Another example from my life, but everyone here one day may be a parent or already is. So Nancy and I have a good purpose to have children. Now, sinners can make babies, right? You don't have to be a Christian to make a baby, am I right? Anybody can make a baby. But when we made a, when we made a baby, we said, God, now bless what we do with this baby. Help us to, you know, pray for the, we pray for the baby every day. Now bless her. You see, that's an act. I'm doing that act. Nobody makes me pray for that baby. Okay, you all with me? When you raise your family, is God going to come into your family and make you do devotions? Is he going to make you say you love your daughter, love your father, etc.? Is God going to make you? No. But he'll bless you when you act in faith. Everybody say every act prompted by faith, God will bless. Let's just look at it again. That you will be worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So who's living in faith today? Come on, who's living in faith? Who's, who's being proactive? Are you doing proactive things today? Let's say right now we've got a student in school. Are you studying? Because God will bless your studying. Because it's an act prompted by your faith, fulfilling your purpose. Purpose is for you to graduate high school. That's a no-brainer right there, right? Purpose is for you to get good grades. Okay, so now you've got to act. You've got to act, right? You've got to get up and do something. And while you're doing that, that's when you can say, God bless. Take, for example, when I was in college, the professors would pray before we would take tests. But they would always say, hey, if you didn't study, this prayer ain't going to help you. This is not like a Hail Mary, you know, like, dear God, help me. I'm going to try to catch it in the end zone. No, there's no Hail Mary prayer. But this is what they would say. Those of you who spent all week studying or those of you who spent eight hours and didn't get any sleep last night and spent studying, we're praying for you that now you'll remember what you studied, that God will bless you, that you won't get nervous, that you won't get anxious, that what you put your action to, God will now bless you see, salvation is not required, uh, requires no action from you and I. You and I don't act to get saved. So it's not like I raise my hands and say a prayer, now God saves me, or I start feeding the poor, God saves me. No, 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 no. Salvation is by one thing and one thing alone, grace. Everybody say grace. But my calling is by my acts. Everybody say acts. Now that you're saved, what are you doing? I want to just park there for a few moments because everybody has something to do. 
The student has something to do. The college student has something to do. The husband and wife have something to do. All of your jobs that you have, what the Bible calls vocations, let me pause and say a little thing about your jobs. Do you know that in the early church, Chicagoans, when they were talking to the Thessalonians, that the people did not differentiate between the pastor and the non-pastor, the leader and the non-leader? As a matter of fact, you're going to hear in just a moment that Paul said, I didn't even get paid to be a pastor. I worked with you. And here was the thing. They saw all of their jobs as a calling from God. I cut hair. That's my calling. Just like a pastor would say, I'm preaching. That's my calling. Just like a mother would say, that's my calling. A man would say, I'm a police officer. That's my calling. You have to understand that what you do 40 hours a week is a large part of your life. Matter of fact, most of your adult life, one-third of it is going to be spent working. Do it for God. Treat your customers as you want to be treated. Treat others as you want to be treated. Work hard. Do it unto the Lord. The Bible says he'll bless you. Somebody say be blessed. Now you know the secret to being blessed. You've got to do something. There it is. Come on. Amen. Now go to chapter 2. Moving right along. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself in, the, in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, right here is when we start getting into some deep stuff. This is, the t- this is the talk of end times here. What we were just talking about today, Israel and Palestine, more death has happened in these few days, in the 60 years that Israel's been a nation. These are the things Paul's talking about. Now, the funny part about this, Chicagoans, is that the Thessalonians thought the Armageddon was already here. They thought that God was already judging the world. Now, you can't really think them to be foolish for doing so because they were dying, being burned at the stake, being persecuted, all in the name of Christianity. And so they're like saying, man, it can't get any worse than this. Swing low, sweet chariot. Get me up out of here. Beam me up. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? So they started telling each other, look, Jesus is coming. Matter of fact, it's already here. He's going to start helping us. And they started trying to lie to each other. Now let me pause and say this as well. I see this very similar to the gospel that's being preached today in many churches. And that's everything's okay. Just make money. Be happy. Have a family. And you'll be all right. You see, you have to understand as a Christian you will go through things. Don't give up. Don't lie to yourself. I'm not looking in the mirror going, I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. People love me. I'm okay. I can make this. Okay, I'm ready to go preach now. Okay, no, listen to me. We're not talking about trying to convince yourself. I don't have any problems. I, everything's okay. It's a perfectly shiny day. You know what I'm saying? No, the, 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 what true Christians do is say, like these people were saying, I'm getting whipped. I'm getting beaten. I'm getting persecuted. That is true. But I bring my burdens to Jesus who carries them for me because Jesus Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me and find rest for your soul. Amen. I will carry your burden. Learn of me. I am gentle and, and meek in heart, and you'll find rest. Amen. So what this is saying is, come on, don't, don't let nobody deceive you. And I say this to you now. Don't let anybody deceive you. We will see more wars and rumors of wars. Israel will continue to be persecuted by Muslim terrorists. We will continue to be persecuted by Muslim terrorists. The wars will continue in our nation until Jesus Christ comes 
comes back. And here's a scary thought. We can find a lot of nations in the Bible. One of them we seem to not be able to find is America. So there's not even a guarantee that we're on the map by this time Jesus comes back. You see, you're a part of a nation that you think is incorruptible. But they thought the Roman Empire was incorruptible. They thought Babylon was incorruptible. When I, when I say to you right now, uh, Egypt, do you think of some uh, you know, awesome nation? No, what do you think of Egypt as? A, a, a desert. You think of Egypt as some old pyramids, artifacts. How do you know America can't be that? China could become the next world-dominant nation. You don't know that. See what I'm telling you? Don't let nobody deceive you telling you something that God is saying when God has not said it. What people were telling the Thessalonians is that God's, you know, already come back or he's going to help you out and no, and, 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 and take away the persecution. And that was not true. What's happening here is Paul is saying, hey, don't let anybody deceive you. You're going to go through this for a while. And we know through history that the Christian church was persecuted for 300 years. For 300 years, they were burned at the stake. They, they were nailed to crosses in mockery of Christianity. Can you say, help us, Jesus? Now, the beautiful thing about this passage is that now Paul begins to let you in on the insight that he has of the end times. Now he says, okay, don't be deceived, verse 3. He says, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Somebody say the Antichrist. Now, I'm not here to get into arguments about end times and these different things. I'm just going to give you a standard evangelical Christian perspective, okay? If somebody wants to tell you Obama's the Antichrist, they thought Nero was the Antichrist, people thought at one time Stalin was the Antichrist. Look, I'm not here to get into all that, okay? I mean, it was so funny. I got a a little email the other day, like, seriously, man, Obama's the Antichrist. Watch this YouTube video. Okay, chances are you're not going to figure it out in a five-minute video either, okay? The Antichrist is not going to come in the form of something subtle in one way. He will be kind of slick, but in another way, he's going to be anti-God from the very get-go. And I'll tell you what my opinion is, because we have different, uh, you know, in Bible college we've learned different things. My thing is he's going to come out of the revised Roman Empire, which would be in Europe, obviously. And I think that he is going to be kind of what we would see now in Europe, if you're paying attention, kind of like an all-religions type of guy but more of like a world peace type thing, and he's going to embrace everybody. And the Bible says he will be such a deceiver that people will buy into him. So I believe he's going to come from Europe, something like that. I don't believe he's going to come from America. Pray for our president. Amen? Praise God. But here's the thing. The Bible says before the end comes, there's going to be an antichrist. Now, who is this man? He is the man doomed for destruction. So the thing about this guy is that he doesn't have a chance. This guy's going right to hell, but he is going to be used by Satan before he gets there, but greater for the kingdom of God, because God will actually use this for his glory. Verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship. So what I mean by this is he is going to take a stance that he is God. He's going to say he's God. See, right now you'll see politicians kiss babies and kind of play around with it. I think he's going to come with a very strong stance, I am God. And he'll do that kind of on the back of the atheism of Europe. See, atheism has tore down every religion. And what they're kind of doing is saying that there is no God. And what I think he will do is kind of twist that like there is no God to like I am God. And I think people will believe it. Because what happens in history, if you understand like history, there's times where people just like the Greek people, they stop believing in, uh, let me back up. First, the Greeks believe in the plurality of gods. Okay, all of these gods throughout, you know, the time of Alexander the Great. Then what happens is they say, okay, we get tired of these little statues called gods. Now we get into philosophy. And then 
then the philosophy kind of leads them back into these things called God, uh, these false gods. And so let me put it in terms for you. It starts off as polytheism, then it goes to atheism, and then it goes to uh, the word that just slipped my mind, which is uh, everything is God-ish. Do you have it? Um, not deism, pantheism. Thank you. So if you kind of follow history, it goes like polytheism, atheism, and then a pantheism. And that's just what I kind of think, but no matter what I think, here's the bottom line, is this dude is going to say he's God, and he's going to start commanding worship of all the nations. Look at now verse 5. Don't, uh, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Now, don't you love Paul? He was telling them all this. Okay, so he wasn't telling them seven steps to a better life now and all of that. He was telling them there's a guy named Antichrist. He's going to come. He's going to oppose himself. You're going to be persecuted. Somebody say he was telling them as a T.I. is. As it is. Help me out. Verse 6. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Now let me just pause here. You know what's funny about this is that they knew, but somehow we don't know. Because he's never said it specifically to us what holds back the Antichrist. Get back to that in a moment. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out the way. Okay? So there's something holding back the Antichrist and this end-time catastrophe. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. See, I'm going to get to why I believe this atheism and the pantheism thing in a minute. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So all will be condemned. Everybody say, all will be condemned. Okay, once again, not being controversial, just keeping it to the word very simply here, is that the Bible says that to the Thessalonians that something is holding back this Antichrist. So remember, just kind of backing up, the Thessalonians were kind of freaking out, going, oh my goodness, we're in the end times, it's all coming down now, we're being persecuted and killed, help! And Paul is like, hold on, all of this has to happen first. The lawless one has to come and be worshipped as God. Moving on to this, something is holding him back, and when that thing is moved back, then he comes in all of his splendor, false miracles and signs, people are worshipping him, and all those people are condemned, okay? What is that thing that I think is holding him back? I think it's the church. Now you get into this doctrine called the rapture. Everybody say the rapture. What we believe as Christians have to go through uh, some other scriptures to show you. We have it on our website, but let me just show you right here that that is what's holding him back. Meaning, let's say Barack Obama does stand up and say, I am Jesus Christ, worship me. There's about one billion Christians on the planet that will be calling him Antichrist before he can even get to the next place. Are you with me? People will be holding signs, he's the Antichrist, bing, 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 you know, everybody will be, like right now, look at all the YouTube videos, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, they thought George Bush, Bill Clinton, all these people have been Antichrist as well. See, the church has to get out the way. And a deception has to come that people can believe. How could you believe a deception like that in a world leader if one-sixth of the planet is Christian? Right now, Christianity is sweeping through the Muslim nations. It wouldn't happen in Africa. 
People in Africa wouldn't bow down and call that man God. They would say, Shikaboomba, man, we're seeing the dead raised in Jesus' name. This guy ain't got nothing. But you see, as the church is dying in Europe, they're becoming atheists. See, they're preparing the way for an antichrist-like figure. Because now watch me make my point here. Because they don't believe in a God of power. They don't believe Jesus really exists anymore in a lot of parts of Europe. And so what happens is when the Antichrist comes, just take this for example, when you think of like a place like Europe and France and the Netherlands, these places that are just pro-gay marriage, you know, just this, uh, you know, Amsterdam, drugs are legal. I mean, this is how far they've gone in the opposite direction. Are you all with me? Now all of a sudden a man comes up, starts talking about world peace, and let's say he heals somebody. Those people are going to go nuts. And if there's no church to say this guy is an antichrist, he's not doing it in the name of Jesus, he's doing it in the name of Satan, they're all going to follow it. So what I think is holding back the antichrist, Chicagoans, is the church. So there will be a gathering together of the church before this thing gets really bad. So you've got to be ready so you don't get left behind. Amen? Look at your neighbor say, y'all don't want to be left behind. You do not want to be here when this thing goes down. And I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but here's a quick timeline. It basically goes like this. The rapture comes. The Antichrist is revealed. Three and a half years he brings peace. Jerusalem and the Palestinians and the Muslims get along. He begins to get worship as God. He sets up a temple in Jerusalem. He starts making sacrifices. The Jews who've rejected God for, uh, Jesus for 2,000 years freak out and begin to say, Oh my goodness, we missed the Messiah's first coming. We better get ready for his second coming. So then the 144,000 Jews get saved and radical. And they start preaching and people start getting saved But they don't get the mark of the beast Which is kind of like a computer chip Which allows you to buy and sell because there's no more cash And so they start getting beheaded And Christians are being persecuted And the majority of the world is worshipping the beast And they're all like saying he's it And then all of a sudden they want to now destroy Jerusalem and Israel And then at that point of them wanting to destroy Here comes Jesus Christ on a horse And he destroys them Armageddon, heaven, new earth And there we are, hallelujah, great white throne judgment Come on, somebody. We get excited. I know I ran through that, but it's really good. So the bottom line is you don't want to be here for that. You don't want to get beheaded. You don't want the mark of the beast. You don't want to be worshiping a man. You don't want to be all that. So if Jesus Christ is going to take us out of here, we all be ready to do that. Amen. Because once the church is out the way, now Satan starts doing miracles. And these people who always were saying, I don't believe in God unless I see a miracle, are now seeing their president do all these fancy schmancy things. And now they're going, oh, man, I believe in that. I believe in that. And then stamp, they get the mark because cash and all this is taken away. And they have to buy and sell with these, these marks, these chips called the mark of the beast. And now they are part of this delusion. And then the Bible says on top of everything they've done to themselves and and Satan is doing to them. Now God himself sends delusion to them and says, because you've rejected the truth, because you've rejected the word of God, I'm now going to even help you to believe a lie. Come on, somebody say, God, have mercy. So what is the reason of that? Verse 12, they will be condemned because they did not believe the truth, but delighted in wickedness. You see, don't delight in wickedness. Believe the truth. Amen. Just give me another two hours. That's all I need. Are we good? All right, come on, keep working. Verse 13, we're going through the whole book today. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. Somebody say, I was called to be saved and sanctified. 
He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. Look at the importance right now Paul is putting on what he gave the people. You see, so often today in ministry, it's like, oh, that's just Joe. He looks like me. He talks like me. He's just talking up there for a little bit. I take it and leave it. What I like, I I use. What I don't like, I leave. No, no, no. Paul is saying right here, his gospel is actually saving people's lives. You see, the gospel I'm preaching to you can change you. The gospel then you preach to somebody else can change them. If we're speaking the word of God, there's power in it. Look what Paul said to these brothers. Look at verse 15. He said, hold firm to the teachings we passed on to you. Uh, David, run and grab the books that we have for discipleship, please. Brothers, hold firm to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word. So that would be, you know, by the things he spoke to them, by mouth. That's another, I guess, way of saying the way he spoke to them. Or by letter, the things he wrote. Now, remember, you are Thessalonians, and we're calling you Chicagoans to kind of get you in the field here. You are sitting in a house church right now. You've only seen Paul for a few weeks. He planted a church. You got saved. You saw miracles, and now you're sitting down, and you're reading or rather hearing the letter read. You're getting persecuted. It's life or death once you walk out there, and now Paul is encouraging you. Stand firm. Remember what I taught you. You see, we've lost the remembrance in our culture. I could ask you right now, sports fans, who's, who's starting lineup for the Bears? You know, who plays for the Cubs, the Sox, students? I could say, who's your favorite band? What's your favorite song? But if I said, give me five scriptures to talk about you going to heaven in a blessed life, most people couldn't even quote them. You see, remember, they didn't even have a Bible to take home with them at the end of the day. They're just hearing it read, and now they have to remember when they leave outside of the church. People, you've got to remember this every day. Paul is saying it right here. He says, remember what I've taught you. Remember what you've heard. Remember what you read in these letters. He says, because God wants to bless you through them. Now, these books right here, look at this wonderful brother coming. Give him a hand clap. Come on. Here it is. Now, we believe in the Word, amen, right here. But I've just taken some things from my mouth and put it to letter so that you could be encouraged. This is the seven-step book to spiritual growth. Every single person in our church should go through this. We do this in a one-on-one mentorship. Our visitors, God bless you. Thank you for coming. Get a part of this. Every person, amen. Somebody say amen. Once you go through this one-on-one, somebody says, hey, do you love Jesus? Are you living holy? Are you, are you raising your family right? You got the thing in order. If you have any questions about the church, here we are. If you're struggling, let's pray through it. We're going to do this. This is for everybody. Say amen. Once you do that, then we have you join the Wednesday Bible class. Some people say, what does it take to be a member? What it takes to be a member is to be a disciple. Come on. Well, we could dip you and baptize you and do all that, but I could dip and baptize a pig, but it's still a pig. Hello? We're looking for changed lives. Amen? Bam, you get into the 201. There it is, 12 lessons. Disciples making disciples. You go through this book twice. You learn it. What does it mean to speak in tongues and be filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the fundamental truths of the faith? Who is a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, and a Muslim? How do I defend my faith against them? What does it mean to be holy and humble? What does it mean to have a balanced life, to pray, go to work, and also be with my family? This is it right here. Somebody say letter. You see, Paul was teaching the people. Keep on doing what I taught you to do. And look how he says it in the beginning, verse 13. Why did he praise God for them? The same reason I praise God for you. Because God chose us for salvation. 
You didn't choose him first. He chose you first. God brought you to this church. God saved you. I know the day I got saved. I know it was real. God was knocking out my door. Never forget that. And you got to remember, salvation is that time that Christ comes into your heart and makes you a new person. But this sanctification, somebody say sanctification, this sanctifying work of the Spirit is the rest of your life. We're not looking for perfect people. We're just looking for people who want to get on the perfect express to heaven. Amen? If you don't want to travel on the perfect express to heaven, if you want to take the highway to hell, you can, all right? But those of us who are saved, we want to be sanctified. That means if heaven is right downtown, I want to keep going east, and I want to get closer to it. I don't want to have the same attitude I had when I first got saved. Amen? I don't want you to have the same stinking thinking. God destined you for better. Can you say amen? And he called, this, he called you to this through our gospel. The gospel that I preach to you, that you're preaching on the streets, is important to people's lives. Look at verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look at this. You remember we're talking about the Trinity? Look at the importance of Jesus Christ. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us an eternal, eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Who's the first person that's going to encourage you and strengthen you in this verse right here? Jesus Christ. You see, he's elevated to deity. May Jesus Christ himself do this through God the Father. You see, in the Trinity there's order. God is the head. The Father, uh, the Father is the head. The Son serves and glorifies the Father. The Spirit serves and glorifies the Father and the Son. God sends, uh, the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Father then gives everything back to the Son. It's a holy trinity. It's a unity of three persons in one divine being. This is where marriage is also based off of two persons becoming one. This is how the Bible can say Jesus Christ is going to do it and God the Father is going to do it because Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, and God our Father is the ultimate all-powerful being. Together they will encourage you, strengthen you. Why? So that you can have more money and live in a nice house. Is that what it says? So that you can, oh, I need somebody to say no, just a little bit louder than that to help me out. So that you can drive a nice car and all of that. Is that what it says? Nothing wrong with those things. Praise God for nice cars. Amen. Praise God for nice houses and good cooking. We enjoyed that at the Rivera house yesterday. Loved it. Praise God that we're not living in shacks and caves. Amen. But even if we were living there, we could still do this. Every good deed in word. You've got to talk right and you've got to act right. And God will bless you. Let blessings come where you are. Right now in your life, you are at a place where you have a calling. And in that calling, God wants you to start doing things. As we learned before, when you start doing things, God will bless you. If you need strength to do those things, if you need encouragement, who should you call on? God, your Father, and your Lord, Jesus Christ. And what will he do? What will, the, what will God the Father and Son do for you? Encourage you so that what? You can talk right. So that when you're on your job and you're about ready to cost yourself a promotion because you're arguing with the boss and you're about ready to ah, tell him what it is, you know, God will stop you and say, don't do that. You're going to cost yourself a promotion. Hello? How many young people here, you know, that quitting spirit that you got? Well, they don't treat me right. I got to get up early. No, get rid of that quitting spirit because if you call on God, he'll encourage you to work right, to act right. Somebody say talk right and act right. He says in every good deed 
and word. May God encourage us to do that. Chapter 3, finally, brothers. Everybody say finally. Amen. Paul's coming to a close. Chicagoans, here we go. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, uh, that you are doing and will continue to do the things we, uh, we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. My final words, is, along with Paul, is that you would continue in these things. Pray for us, the leadership. Pray for the elders of the church. Pray for the leaders of the ministries. Tonight we're having a special worship service. A great gospel singer is going to come here and perform and bless the church. Pray for him. Pray for the writers of the books that you read. Pray for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to continue its message. We all play a part in this. Paul is saying, hey, guys, I need your prayers. When we look at television and we see ministries that maybe we don't agree with, we should pray for them. The world is watching them. There's no winning side when our Christian men fall. It's not like I get happy when I see people fall and say it breaks my heart. Even if I disagree with them because it shames the gospel. Pray for every leader and, and, and do it in a way that you mean it. That's what Paul is saying. Pray that the message may go forward, that it may spread rapidly, that it may be honored just as it was with you. Each one of you here know what it's like to be blessed by a good ministry, blessed by good leaders and pastors. Continue to pray for us and pray for the churches of Chicago and America and around the world that leadership, godly leadership will be in place. Can you say amen? And then your part is to keep doing what, what God is commanding, Chicagoans. And I have confidence, as Paul had confidence in his people, that you will do this. All the things that you've already learned. What did you learn? Going back over these verses, grace and peace, that you always let God be in your heart. Verse 3, that you will continue to grow in your faith and your love for one another. That you will persevere through persecutions and trials. Moving on to verse 5, that even though you're suffering, that you'll trust God with the vengeance because it's His. And that you won't love wickedness and be punished with the ungodly, but you'll warn them and live holy. Verse 11, that you'll fulfill your calling, that you'll do all that is good, and that you'll do all that is right, and God will bless you to doing the things of your faith. Chapter 2, that you won't get unsettled in your times of waiting for Christ's return, that you'll continue to push forward even though things may get tough. In verse 5, you'll be ready for the great rapture when the church has moved out of the way so judgment can come. And that moving down to verse 13, that you will know that you're saved and stay on the road of sanctification, preaching the gospel and accepting the gospel. And if you get tired and doing any of those things, you'll call upon Christ Jesus for encouragement and strength so you can keep acting right and talking right. Somebody say, I'm going to do that. You see, that's what I'm having confidence in Christ Jesus that, uh, Elliot, when you go back to Philadelphia University that God will keep doing that in your life. I put confidence in God and in you that that will happen. I put confidence in God and you, Charles, that when you go back home that you'll continue to do that. David, as you work, the rest of you here, I put confidence in God and you that you will do the things of Christ. Amen? And verse 6. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, here comes a command in Jesus' name. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Somebody say, uh-oh. You see, he couldn't end the letter without talking about something here. 
Because, see, you know, as long as the church doesn't have perfect people, imperfect people will be in this church. As long as that's happening, messy people will cause messes. Hello? Messy people cause messes. Paul's going to say, hold on now. I got just one more thing to say here. I command you, keep away from every brother who is idle, who does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how, we ought to follow, how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this because we, uh, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he, will, he shall not. Let's do that again. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. You see, Paul had to lay it down right here. You know why? Because just like in our day in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica people began to say, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't have to work. I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come get me. I'm just going to wait for heaven to come down to earth and rescue me. I'm just going to take my government assistant check. I don't need to do anything about it. Teenagers, I'm just going to let my parents do all the work. Uh, Adults in here, you know what? I'm just going to skip work today. I don't feel like it. I'm going to (coughs) tell them I'm sick. Paul said, no, 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 don't you do that. Idleness is a sin in the Bible. That's why when people come to this church, you don't have a job, we teach you to get a job. Amen. That's why when you're in our, 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 our discipleship teenagers, some of you have already been asked to step down because you're not getting good grades. Leadership is an honor. For you to say, I want to be a youth leader, you get good grades as a youth leader. Every man, woman, and child working. Paul says here, I could make my living off the gospel. That's what, what I do. But Paul said, I'm not even going to take that privilege. I'm going to work hard. I look up to Paul for that. I worked some construction jobs being a pastor, and oh my goodness, it was hard. I thank God that the people of the church can support us. But Paul said, I'm going to go one step further, further, because you know what? He probably had some greedy, stingy people that were saying, all Paul wants is our money. Look at how he comes up there in that suit. I bet you he stole that from the tithes and offering. He probably got so sick of hearing that from this infant church and for other churches like he said, you know what? I'm going to work. I'm going to get up in the morning, build a tent. I'm going to sell that tent, and then I'm going to come to church, speak in tongues, cast out devils, and preach, and nobody can take that away from me, and I'm going to show you how to to do this thing see paul was radical for jesus and that's why i love god because he's brought to us elders in this church and they all work every single day of their lives and they set good examples and their wives are busy at home and women you can look up to them some of them have jobs and raising the family hallelujah and young people christians live right and get good grades and you should look up to the ones that are doing so because if you do not the bible says we got to get away from you we cannot be around idle people approving of their lifestyle I sent out some videos to our leadership talking about church discipline. There is one organization on this earth that is so backwards and out of order, and that is the church. I've never seen the Chicago Bears go way down the end of their team and say, you know what, for the Super Bowl, you know, let's say when they were playing the Super Bowl, I'm going to pick the four-string quarterback and put you up here. But we'll have people up here on the, on the drums and the, and the guitar and singing songs got sin in their life. Hello? No, 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 no. We ain't letting you get up here unless you get right with God. Oh, oh, well, there's young people. I've been to places, young people doing the place. Here's Jesus. Uh, 
now whip him and show him how it felt. And people cry, you know, come on. I'm not just, just trying to be sarcastic, but I'm tired of watching Jesus get whipped in place, by the way. Oh, here's that teenager. Oh, that was so cute. Or they're going to do their little dance. And the teenager's sleeping around. The teenager's in sin. Oh, but Dito, they look so cute up there. They're filthy in the eyes of God. We don't put them up there to play the game unless they live right, come to practice and do the thing. But it's so hard to live for Jesus, Pastor. Well, Jesus said, call on him and he'll give you strength and he'll give you encouragement so you can talk right and you can live right. Come on, somebody. You don't have to go to hell with the devil. Just live with Jesus. It is tight, but it's right. Come on. We can live for Jesus. I'm looking forward to these youth right here living for Jesus, having the testimony of virginity, having the testimony of not drinking, not smoking, having the testimony of living right. I'm so excited that there are adults in this church that get up and work 40, 50 hours a week to provide for their family, to have Bible studies in their homes. Praise God for you. Amen. And keep on doing that. And if those do not want to do that, you've got to get away from them. Paul said, I warn you, stay away from them. If they're idle, number one, that's just people who are lazy. Or number two, if they don't stay to the teachings of Christ. And Matthew 18 teaches a three-pronged process in doing that. Number one, the church goes to them individually. Number two, they bring witnesses. Number three, they excommunicate them. And they say, you are a pagan and a tax collector. God have mercy. Paul said, I handed some over to Satan that they would be taught not to blaspheme for the destruction of their flesh, but the saving of their spirit amen we do it in love uh, look at verse 11 we hear that some among you are idle that they're they are not busy but they are busy bodies these things haven't changed so much in almost 2,000 years verse 12 so people so gente come on so peeps we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread you eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of what is doing what is right. Amen? We got a police officer that works third shift that doesn't even get any sleep that comes here, leads the prayer meeting, plays the bass. Come on. Don't give up, brother. You're leading by example. Hallelujah. And if our brother can do it, you can do it. Amen? Praise God. I love talking about you, brother. You encourage me to keep on keeping on. That's what it says. Don't tire of doing what is right. Verse 14, if anyone does, just in case we didn't get it, he's got to repeat himself. Okay, Paul, we know you're serious. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, by the way, why don't we ever hear these verses in sermons? Remember, we picked the cute ones out, but why don't we hear this? He's talking about it. Somebody say, talk about it. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, you've heard the whole letter now, people. Now, remember, if you were in Paul's churches of Thessalonica, you probably didn't have any other letters. This was the only letter you had. You didn't really have the Old Testament because you couldn't afford it. So this was all of your instruction to being a Christian. Seriously, this was it. You would probably hear the stories of the gospel. You would probably hear some more stories of Jesus. But if you were in Thessalonica, this would be all you would have to go on now. Okay, I've accepted Christ. I, I watched Paul heal somebody. I asked Jesus in my heart. I started speaking in tongues. I got excited. Okay, now I'm sitting in a house church, and I heard this whole letter. Okay, Paul, what are you going to tell me here? If we do not obey this instruction, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel what? So that means the church is actually supposed to let people feel ashamed. Shame on you if you're in sin. And you're coming to church and you're not changing. Shame on you. You're supposed to feel shame. Do you know that when my little girl grows up, 
and she takes something that doesn't belong to her, what is the conscience supposed to make her feel? Ashamed. Oh, I took a cookie. Mommy told me not to take that cookie. In the church of America, everybody can live in sin, still raise their hands and sing in the choir, and nobody feel ashamed. Shame on us. There should be the feeling of shame in a church when people don't want to live right. It doesn't mean we hate you or disrespect you. It's just you better feel ashamed for not living right. Then you repent and you feel good. Amen? Because repentance is a good word in this church. It says, yet do not treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So when somebody sins, we warn you as a brother or a sister. Now would you stand up with me, please, in closing. Praise God. Man, would you come forward. What a unique sermon today. Did you all enjoy this today? If you did, can you say amen? amen? I put you in the place of the Thessalonians. Today's message was a message to the Chicagoans. Did you get something out of it? So every now and then when you see me preach and I'm taking verses out, you can say to yourself, Hey, I should go home today and read that whole passage. I should read where pastor's getting those messages from. Now when you read the Bible, try to actually read the Bible. Try to go through it just like I did and ask yourself, how can I put this in my life? On our website, on the link page, I have a link called commentaries. What I just did was give you a commentary. You can go to a website that will actually take you verse by verse. This is what the word says in closing. Verse 16. How did it start with grace and peace be upon you? Now look at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Isn't that a wonderful verse right there? Peace upon everybody here. And may the Lord always be with you. You may have come here today. You're going through a trial. Peace be upon you in Jesus' name. When you walk out of here, storms may come into your life. But God is with you. The God of peace. Call on Him. Say, God, I need your peace again. Verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. You all know how I preach. Amen. Crazy guy with spiky hair, just having fun for Jesus. Amen. You know how we do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Are we ready to do this? I want to pray with you in closing that today, if you're not living for God, that you'll make a decision to live for God. If you need special prayer, you can come up after that. We're going to lay hands on you today for any need that you have. Some of you may want to get filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. You may have a sickness, something you're battling. We're just going to open up in prayer. Just don't leave until we dismiss. Let's just hang out with Jesus a little bit. There's a few things as a pastor I want to add just at the end, what I feel God is saying to us. I feel that God is saying to us, don't give up on the brink of your miracle. It was an old song that Tammy Faye used to sing with PTL, if anybody remembers those days. I was a little kid watching it with my mom. But it was a good song, and it? It's a good thing to remember, and I feel this for our church. I feel, as I look around, that there's so many of you here, even as I'm talking to you, I'm talking to my own wife and I, that are so close to a new season. And you're maybe hoping that it will happen right at the new year. Maybe you're just saying, hey, I need this bonus or this and that. I just want to tell you, however long it takes, just don't give up. You're at the brink of the miracle. Ishmael 
and I sat down and talked two and a half years ago in a Thai restaurant. We had about a dozen people in our church. And we began to say, man, we want to change the world. You believe God can do it? Yeah, I believe God can do it. Man, let's start churches in other nations. You want to do it? Let's do it. We went through so many people coming and going, coming and going. But just last month, his mother, Pastora Gomez, said, I want to start a church, Metro Praise in Chilapa, Mexico. Just like that. Suddenly. Somebody say suddenly. Bam! There came the miracle. I look around at different lives and things that you've been through. Some of the things I know because you come to me and say, Pastor, pray with me. Listen, the word I feel this is saying is don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. I want to talk to the youth group. Some of you right now, you, you watch the youth group lose some of its attendance because we took out the basketball goals. We took off the video games on the big screen. We said, hey, we're going to stop that. We're just going to give them Jesus. If they can go on the corner and stand out there and just for drugs and just for party, we can say, come up here and stand just for Jesus. Amen? And some of you are like, when are my other friends going to come back? Don't give up. When Alex trickled in, that's no mistake. Alex, we've already told your testimony, but I'm just going to tell for all the youth, don't forget this. This brother got kicked out of the youth group because he was so bad before. But when he saw what the world was offering him, where did he come? He came back to the church and said, I'm sick of the world. I need Jesus. Jaylene, Nathaniel, David, all you guys, Danny, don't give up. You're witnessing at your school. You're preaching. Jesus will touch their hearts. This place will be packed again. And this time, in Leelani, it's not going to be because we had some basketball game out there for them. It's going to be because their hearts got touched. I was showing Adolfo a, a video of these people in Alabama talking about uh, the, the one with the woman, Karen Wheaton. What's that place called? The Ramp. This gospel singer said, I want to start reaching youth, but I don't want video games. I don't want free pizza. I don't want, you know, all of this. I don't want a dance team first. She said, I just want to start praying. And teenagers just started coming. We'll pray. They got on fire. Now they pack out over 500 every single week. And now they got the dance team and the worship team. Praise God for those things. Adolfo, don't give up. Right on the brink. Right on the brink. I'm going to talk to you one day, and you're going to say, man, the place was packed. All of Deanna's friends got saved and came back. See, look at Deanna right here. Deanna, just wave your hand for those that don't know you. Do you know that you are the first fruit of the new youth group? Because when Nancy and I handed it over to Adolfo, we said, okay, let's watch. Let's see what happens. And I remember the first day I met you right back here, Jitta had invited you, and it was like a little fun day. And I said, oh, that is so awesome. Here's a girl that we don't know, but now she's coming to the youth group. And then you disappeared for a little bit. And when you came back, this is all I began to hear is Deanna loves Jesus. Deanna's on fire. I would be so bold to say, though those of you who have been around for a while know what I'm talking about, so just correct me if I'm wrong. But I have never seen in our history somebody bring as many friends as she has. Am I right on that? Nine friends you brought two weeks ago. That's awesome. Don't give up. Maybe they all didn't come back, but they will. Come on, somebody. I want to talk to David Cross going to adult small group ministry. 
Don't give up, brother. I know you're knocking on doors. I know you're going out there. Don't give up. You're going to knock on somebody's door, and they're going to say, I've been waiting for you. I was snowboarding. Of all places, I was snowboarding. Two days ago, you know your pastor's got to relax and do his things. I'm sorry. I'm not old yet, and I don't do weird things like that. It's no offense towards old people that do weird things, but I snowboard. I was snowboarding, David, and I was sitting on the hill just kicking back, looking at the weather. This is awesome, dude, catching air. And I saw this little 17-year-old kid, whoosh, you know, peeled out with the snow, kind of sat down next to me. We started talking. What's up, dude? You know, talk to snowboard talk, man. <laughs> Woo! Hang tan. And he, and he started talking to me. I said, you know, I'm a pastor. I come out here on my day off, etc." He said, man, I just went to church with my family for the first time for Christmas in so long. And he said, I reached out to God, and I've been wondering if he's real. A divine appointment. And at that moment, I said to him, I said, dude, it's no accident you and I are talking right now. David, I'm so believing that God is setting up divine appointments. Because that's how we met you. You see, our church... You know, no offense towards other people coming from different churches, but our church has been built upon the lost and the unchurched. David, you and your wife didn't find us that way. You know, it's not like we were on, you know, the Christian radio station saying, hey, we got the best preaching and, you know, the greatest holy water and this and that. Come on down. You found us because we were reaching your teenagers and your wife was driving by one day and we were right there on the corner, divine appointment. I'm believing for adult small groups to break through divine appointments. I'm just believing this. And I'm not only just believing this in ministries. And I could go on all day. I'm going to pray and we're going to pray. But here's the thing. You're going through personal struggles. You're going through personal things. Let God bless you. Don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. Amen. Father God, we adore you. We lift you up in this place today, Father God. We ask you, God, to be with your church. Father God, to fill this place with your spirit. And Father God, those that need encouragement, those that need strength, I pray you fill them right now. If you came to this place, place and you either need to get saved or you just want to keep living saved and do something great for God and you need to pray just come up to this altar I'm inviting everybody and anybody we're going to pray now those that need to get saved just say Jesus save me I'm a sinner I repent and then the rest of us come on let's just lay our burdens at the altar and confess that he's able